Joining our series on this episode is Rahul Barrera, Managing Director and Head of Real Estate for Australia at Credit Suisse. Rahul, always a pleasure speaking with yourself. I want to open up our discussion by exploring your perspective on the macro events at play at the moment. What's, what's your reading on the level of volatility that are affecting public markets? Thanks again, Rob, and thanks for coming across to the office. It's, it's always good to catch up in person. Um, you know, it's, uh, as coming out of lockdowns, this is, uh, this is a unique experience, <laughs> meeting people face to face, but certainly something that we've been looking forward to. Look, I think if you look back at 2021, that's actually an anomaly, right? The, you know, there was just one straight line with the markets going up and everything basically going up on the back of, you know, excess liquidity, great interest rates etc. But if you look back historically, every year is not like that. I think 2022 is going to be one of those years where, you know, high quality companies, you know, certainty of income, uh, coupled with, you know, if, you've got, if, you're in, if you have a natural inflation hedge, and we can come back to why a lot of real estate has that. I think those, once we get through the indigestion, which might happen with some of the, some of the talk around rate rises and, and some of these rate rises actually happening, once we get through that, I think some of those will actually really shine. You know, it's not going to be everything goes up in, in, a, in a uniform sort of line, um, but the good quality stuff certainly will. From an inflation perspective, are you in the transitory camp or do you think it's more of a permanent thing that we're starting to see emerge? Look, I think, uh, um, you know, my, my personal view on this is, uh, you know, and actually this is an interesting morning to be chatting to you, right? We've just had the CPI print in the US at what? seven and a half percent annualized for Jan. Um, so, you know, inflation is running hot globally. Uh, in fact, I think in, in certain markets offshore, far, far hotter than what we're seeing in Australia. I do think certain items like commodities, etc., are going to remain hot over the course of 2022. But you know, these things move in cycles and, uh, you know, seven and a half is not sustainable. Um, you know, a lot of this is also led, led to by supply imbalances, which have been playing out, you know, Shipping has been impacted for the last 12, 18 months, as we all know. Shipping prices have been impacted, but as things come back and you know lock, lockdowns, hopefully, hopefully are a thing of the past. You know that that normalcy comes back, and uh, we we should I, I hopefully uh, normalise over the course of uh, what I'd say is the next six to 12 months. So, what about then in terms of interest rates? What what impact would an interest rate rise have on the property sector? Again, it would depend on what sort of property you have so, and why the interest rate rises are happening. I mean, as we all know, interest rate rises are happening on the back of what is a hot inflation environment and, you know, central banks, you know, using that lever to try and cool down demand. But, you know, it depends on what product you have. So I'd, I'd sort of take, take an example of, of apartments in, in New York. You know, there's been 20 percent, um, you know, rental increases and, and, you know, on some reports actually saying that rents in New York are actually above where they were pre-pandemic. That's driven by obviously supply demand, but also by pretty significant wage inflation that's going through. So there are going to be a lot of pockets of real estate that actually can be an inflation hedge in this, this environment. And we can talk more about that. But I think, you know, if you've got earnings going up, uh, you know, we think a lot of lot of the real estate will will still keep on doing well once we get through that initial what I call what I've mentioned as indigestion. There's been an enormous level of M and A activity and IPO activity over the past 12 to 18 months. Reflecting on that period, what's what's driving this level of deal flow in the market? 
Yeah, again, great question, right? I mean, but there is a secular theme that we've got, which is, you know, you've got pension funds with very significant pots of capital, uh, not just in Australia, but you look at Canada, you look at Asia. There is a lot of capital that's coming through. Uh, their uh, interest in real asset, you know, it's a pool of capital that you've got chasing a, a scarce supply of, of real estate uh, and real assets. We've seen that play out actually last year, uh, even more so in the infrastructure space. Uh, and this year, you know, in the direct markets and, and lasting the direct markets, real estate is, is, is absolutely something that people are, are, are increasing their, their interest in and actually increasing their allocations towards, right? So, so what that's doing is creating a, a lot of demand for, for product, not just listed, right? So M&A is one aspect. And we haven't actually seen that much of real estate M&A uh, in terms of large scale, uh, unlike what you've seen in infrastructure. But we, we have seen, you know, generation of new product. We, we did a couple of IPOs last year, which had pretty, pretty decent take up. There's just a general interest and demand for, for real estate assets across, both from the listed markets, the private markets as well. And we see that as a, I'd say, more of a secular long-term trend where that demand for real estate will, will stay strong. Because as populations are aging, you need to get a real return. You're not getting that in the bank, and certainly not today when inflation is, is running, running hot. How attractive is Australia as a destination for global capital when it comes to real estate markets at the moment? I, th I think it's an, it's an extremely attractive destination. I mean, you just have to look, uh, look around and, you know, you've got, aside from, uh, you know, a legal system which, which uh, you know, stands up against the best in the world, it is a very, very attractive destination. I think there's no hiding from the fact that, you know, with uh, the borders being locked down, which for health reasons, and you can't, you can't sort of dispute um, uh, that. But, you know, with, with things opening up, you will find more capital flowing into Australia to try and pick up what is a scarce pool of assets in Australia. In terms of then the challenges, what, what, what hurdles do you foresee either over the next 12 months or beyond for investors investing into Australian commercial real estate? Again, I think it comes down to what you can actually access, right? So the, the issues in Australia are, can you access large pools of assets? That, that tends to be the biggest challenge for some of these larger pension funds, or if you need to deploy a couple of billion dollars of capital. Historically, we've really just had two sectors, the large shopping centers, or, or you know, large office assets, similar to what we're sitting in in, in, in the CBD. The, the problem is, is for us is actually trying to find pools of assets in some of these sectors, which you know, we refer to in Australia's alternatives, but are very mainstream elsewhere in the world, you know, whether it be you know, childcare, hospitals, you, you know, a lot of these social infrastructure sectors, which have been get, getting a lot of airtime globally. We just don't have large institutional pools of capital for it. Oh, oh products, sorry, my bad. Based on what you're seeing then, which investment products do you think or which investment asset classes are proving most resilient? So, look, I think let's, the, the, the resilience point was sort of borne out during the pandemic. Clearly, you know, if you had long bail, um, you know, triple net leases, they, they did really well, especially if you were in... You know, if, uh, if you were in a Bellings Warehouse property or if you were in, um, uh, you know, a grocery anchored retail, if you were in healthcare uh, property or, or, you know, logistics, for example, logistics has had a phenomenal run, right? Uh, a lot of that was based on, on increasing asset values. What we're seeing now in logistics is the next 
uh, front where rents are actually on the ground increasing, and that's, that's again, driving a lot of interest and demand. Over and above all of that, in Australia, we're just under-allocated to these assets. So, so that is, is the real challenge we've got um, when, you, when you look outside retail and, and office. But for me, personally, I think going forward into 2022, uh, I think it's the reopening trade, which is going to be really interesting. So it's the offices that we're sitting in. It's the, it's the shopping centers where we go and, and purchase stuff. It's you know, the student accommodation assets, right, uh, which, which are more than just you know, apartment buildings because they create, aside from a financial gain or, or a financial impact, they've got a very significant non-financial impact as well. You know, the vibrancy of the CBDs, the fact that you know, uh, project Australia globally, um, and then there's a multitude of other benefits. So what I'm, I'm most interested to see is what actually happens to a lot of the, the reopening trades in 2022. Let's talk about REITs. Where do you assess REITs sit comparative to private markets? Look, at, uh, as we're sitting right now in, in Feb 2022, um, REITs uh, are trading at, at, you know, majority of REITs, not, not all of them. Uh, I think majority of REITs are trading at a, at a pretty significant discount to where the direct markets are sitting. Why is that, do you think? Look, I think, I think part of that is, you know, you, you'll always find this in, in, in listed markets. You know, they'll be up and down. And there'll be times when, when pricing isn't the most efficient. Inherently, some of the investors in the direct markets are sort of taking a 10-year view when they, when they come and make their investment, as opposed to sometimes in the listed market where, where the time frame might be shorter. But everything pans out. And, you know, at the end of the day, nothing stays uh, at a big discount for too long. Uh, the market's tend to correct themselves or management teams and boards tend to find a solution. Uh, but it's not, I don't think it's a challenge in the short term. Um, if that discount sort of prevails over the, I'd say the medium to long term, then, then that's probably a challenge. What's your perspective then on cap rates? Have these changed materially? And, and if so, what have been the driving forces behind these changes? I think I, I'd probably step back and say asset values have risen. They haven't really, really declined. Uh, by any stretch right now. In fact, you know, everything that we, we're hearing on the ground from clients is you know, asset values are, are holding pretty steady uh, and the demand just stays very strong for them because, again, it comes back to that scarce pool, pool of assets and the fact that you are generating a very strong real return because your, your, uh, your rents are benefiting from you know, you know, hot inflation, if it's driven by increased demand, increased wage inflation, increased economic activity, should translate into high rents. Based on the conversations that you're having with your clients and large investors, what are the, the major thematics that are emerging? Look, I think it's, it's bedding down, you know, as we're coming out of this pandemic, what is the evolution of real estate, right? What, you know, I take office, for example, right? For, for, the last decade or more, you know, per capita space has been reducing. What actually happens to office in the next, you know, 12, 24, 36 months? Uh, you know, does the potential of hybrid working actually create an, uh, a reduction in the use of, of office? You know, for a lot of people, you know, it might actually reverse in some ways because you might need more space per person. You might need to create a, uh, a you know, a, a, uh, you know, an environment, environment of collaboration where there's breakout rooms and, you know, in areas where, where people actually want to come in uh, to work. So there's no linear impact from a, from a reduction in, 
in what I'd call is sort of through the week occupancy because you might have the entire team in on a Wednesday or a Thursday, right? And you might need more space for that collaboration as well. So I think I think the, the point is is there's a real estate there's an evolution naturally, right? And I think we'll be going through another evolution of the use of real estate. But one thing that's going to stay constant is, you know, places like we're in right now in, in the heart of the CBD, I think prime grade assets will still uh, remain very much in demand. Some of the largest domestic real estate players are getting into the funds management space or if they're already in it, they're doubling down on their exposure to funds management. Is that a trend that you expect will continue? Yeah, look, I think it's a natural trend because you've got a lot of very capable management teams. There is a pool of capital, right? I mean, um, you know, with with savings increasing, you've got a very large, you know, I, I hesitate to call it a retail base. I'd call it a, you know, a, a private wealth space that is increasing significantly, uh, which adds to, you know, the, the super funds which have an increasing sort of AUM. So actually managing money on behalf of multiple investors is just a natural trend for a lot of them uh, because uh, up until now you know a lot of them were listed and they were raising money just from one source but actually having multiple avenues of capital and partnering with multiple capital sources I think is just just a natural transition. What are you seeing in the industrial and logistics sector? Do you think that that boom that's been going on over the past couple of years has peaked or do you still see opportunity for growth? Yeah, look, uh, I think, you know, that initial boom was driven by declining cap rates. Uh, we're now moved into the next evolution of that boom, which is actually increasing rents. You know, so it's, it's, it's quite interesting, you know, the declines of ours on the private side that might that, that own some logistics assets. And they've, they've said even for, you know, what was previously B-grade stock, you know, they've, they've actually done value-add projects on it and their rental increases have been very significant. In, in the logistics space. So, you know, there, there doesn't seem anything at this stage which, which concerns us about a, either lack of demand, asset values getting impacted because the trend is actually just in the positive direction. From a geographic perspective, are you seeing any re-weighting of exposures? Uh, look, I, I don't think from a geographic perspective, I think historically Sydney and Melbourne have really dominated real estate because that's that's where a majority of institutional real estate has been. Uh, I do think certain markets, you know, whether it be uh, WA or Queensland, etc., you know, there's plenty of demand for product there. There's there's uh, there's attractive portfolios of assets there as well. So I don't think there's any any impact in geography uh, specifically. I, I think if anything, um, I'd say the the re-rating is just on the balance of the sectors. Uh, and this is not about reducing your office exposure or reducing retail, et cetera. It's about increasing some of these other sectors which are, which are quite prevalent in the US, whether it be healthcare, whether it be you know, more in the logistics side, uh, you know, any other sort of you know, assets, self-storage, uh, student accommodation, built-to-rent, right? We don't have institutional built-to-rent in the listed market at all. We, it's a developed-to-hold strategy to create that product today. So they, I think that revading is going to be natural from institution, institutionalization of some of these assets because you know, mum and dad investor in a strata apartment was never considered by institutional investors as an asset class in Australia, but it is a very deep sector globally. Let's talk about build to rent. What, what's your expectations on the size or scope that that asset class could get to potentially in Australia over the years ahead? 
I think it's a, it's a man's right. We're starting from zero. Um, and, you know, I think it comes down to what the offering is to the renter as well. You're providing security of tenor. You're providing, arguably, uh, you should be managing the asset a lot better uh, as well uh, because you're looking at the entire building, so are there any issues, et cetera, from a maintenance perspective. So you can, from a renter's perspective, you should be able to provide a better overall experience to, to the renter. And then, you know, the, the challenge has historically been with built to rent is how do you make the economics work? When you compare with cap rates with industrial and other sectors which have compressed so significantly, all of a sudden, I think you can make the numbers work now. Um, and, you know, in a diversified portfolio, I think it, it plays such an important role because, you know, through the downturns, you know people need to live somewhere. One of the other sectors that, that we haven't touched upon is the retail sector. What are you seeing play out in that space? Look, uh, I mean, you just need to look at the, the footfalls and, you know, they're coming back, trending back to 2019 levels. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I was reading some, um, some updates from the U.S. where, you know, they're looking at 2022 as, as you know, uh, getting footfall back to where they were at the 2019 level, which is a, which is a very positive indicator. At the end of the day, I, I, I do think it's a critical part of your, your buying experience and omni-channel, as we call it now, you know, a combination of physical and, and online, I think is here to stay. And the good quality assets are going to do well. Are there any other thematics that aren't being widely spoken about that you and your team are analysing? Uh, look, I, I, it's just, you know, I, I think we've touched upon this, but it's just that evolution of real estate, right? Uh, and what actually happens um, and, and just capital sources, new capital sources, right? Uh, I mean, 10 years ago, uh, there weren't that many superannuation funds doing, you know, investing in Australia with multiple managers, and they are today. You know, who knows where that evolution of capital might go? Are, are there going to be more sort of private wealth products, um, not just retail syndications, but, but private wealth and larger private wealth products and, uh, that, that come to market over the next few years? You know, it's one of those things. Uh, you know, it is a constantly evolving market and, and we're certainly trying to keep our ears to the ground. And very broadly speaking, how strong do you think the domestic economy is at the moment? Oh, look, I think, I think the, the, the numbers sort of speak for themselves, right? The, the economy is, is strong. You're, you're seeing, you know, when you've got unemployment rates at where we're sitting today, uh, that certainly bodes well uh, for, for what we're, uh, how we're heading into the year. I mean, obviously, some of the risks are, you know, what happens if there, there are too many rate rises, um, and what happens to the construction industry, flow-on effects to sort of residential, et cetera. You know, that's certain, those are certain things that we're probably on the lookout for, but I think, broadly speaking, I think we're, we're in a pretty strong position, and we just need to manage that inflation slash interest rate risk, which I think the RBA has done a good job. They haven't, they haven't panicked, they haven't, they haven't um, you know, they've, they've sort of put the forefront of the economy uh, at top of their list. Um, so I think we've, we've, up until now, we've got the balance right. Finally, what, what services do the Credit Suisse real estate team offer investors or institutions? Look, I think, uh, so, so Credit Suisse, uh, you know, in Australia, we've got, you know, within the investment bank, we obviously have um, an institutional uh, client-facing business where, you know, last year we did a couple of IPOs. Um, we, we participated in, in new traditional mergers and acquisitions. Uh, your, 
your private placements as well with institutions. In addition to that, you know, we selectively use our, our balance sheet to assist you know, private groups uh, with growth. And that can be in multiple, uh, multiple forms, right? So it's, you know, we, we're selective on how we use it, but, and, uh, but for specific clients, we're happy to sort of deploy that. So we do that out of, out of the real estate team alongside, you know, we, we partner with our private wealth management team. We private partner with our financing teams as well on these initiatives. So that for us is, is an interesting part of the business because, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of working with, with the listed market and you're also working with the private market as well at the same point in time. So f from our perspective, we see both of them being, being strong engine, engines of growth in the real estate sector. Rahul Barrera, Managing Director and Head of Real Estate Australia at Credit Suisse. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate that.